Maybe you know this kind of discouragement when you've put forward your best effort to make something great and when the effort is over and you survey your work and it's not great at all. It's not what you dreamed or imagined or intended. Is there encouragement for you in the day of small things? Yes, there is. Hello folks, I'm Joe Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry has found expression in over 40 countries. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The message of Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 is for us all. The Jews are looking at the meager foundation they've laid for what is to be the reconstructed temple, and it's very underwhelming. Yet God sends Haggai to them to let them know that their little is much in his eyes. So God tells them, stay strong and stay at the work. We want to see something of and allow to cement in our hearts something of the setting into which these words of encouragement come because you will likely find yourself, if you give yourself to the service of the Lord Jesus, you will find yourself in this kind of setting more than once. And you'll need to remember where to go for encouragement in those moments. Here's the first thing we'll see in the setting. It was a setting in the day of small things. It was a setting in the day of small things. Zechariah actually is the next book in the prophets we have after Haggai. And Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai. He came and spoke at the same time. And as a contemporary of Haggai, he has a prophecy in which he speaks to Zerubbabel, who is the leader of the people of Israel during the construction of the temple. Zerubbabel is a direct descendant of David. And Zechariah goes and speaks to Zerubbabel. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 9 The prophet Zechariah refers to this temple that they're building and to the foundation that they're looking at at this moment when they're discouraged and Haggai speaks to them. And this is what he says in Zechariah 4.9. He says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. The work is going to be completed, he says. And then in verse 10, Zechariah describes what the appearance of this work looks like or it appears to be in the minds of the people as they look at it. And he describes it in the form of a question. Zechariah asks this question, For who has despised the day of small things? There's the foundation that Zechariah has constructed and built and it's going to be finished. And who among you has despised the day of small things? That foundation mocked the great goal that they were pursuing. A house from which God's glory would be broadcast to the ends of the earth seemed to have no prospect of rising from the ramshackle foundation that was sitting before them. Nothing that they could construct would come close to expressing the greatness that had been and the greatness that they wanted to be in the future. It was a pursuit far from their reach. This was certainly for them as they looked at it. That barren foundation a day of small things. Here's the answer, by the way, to Zachariah's question. Who has despised the day of small things? All of them. <laughs> they were all thinking, oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. The work that we carry out for God goes out from our lives against the momentum of the destruction and the decay of the age that surrounds us. 
It goes out with some sense of ideal and expectancy and longing and we do that great deed and then after we've done it, we might sit down and look at what we've accomplished and think the same thing they thought when they look over their foundation. I planned to do such great things and wanted to do such great things for you and we gave ourselves to this calling and we celebrated and rejoiced and we blew our trumpets and then when the sound began to go out from our ears and we were left in the silence and we looked at what we had caused and brought into effect, some of us started to weep and cry. It's not what we thought it would be. And so it's very easy for us to, in a sense, despise our own labors and our own efforts and to feel that our labors are futile in raising up the temple of God's presence and His glory in the age that we live. And it's easy for us to throw up our hands or lay them down at our sides in discouragement before the day of small things. and What do we say to that kind of feeling? What do we say in response to that kind of attitude? And Well, one is this. I guess the first thing I say is, don't always believe the day of big things. Don't always believe the day of big things. Not all that you think is happening is happening when you think things are really happening, right? When things to be, seem to be growing and expanding, my thought is, Easy come, easy go. Oftentimes the flash is a flash in the pan. There's the story in the book of Jonah after Jonah pronounces prophecies in the last chapter of Jonah and he, he's discouraged because he really didn't want God to rescue Nineveh and God did. He's laying out forlorn and God had caused overnight a gourd to grow up over him and provide shade for him. And then in the next day as he's enjoying that shade, it's like, well, at least I have this little compensation. I got this little shade over my head. In an hour or so, that gourd shrivels to nothing. and It rose up overnight and it shriveled to nothing in the day, in the daylight. And there are things like that in ministries and things like that that are hailed as great successes and they seem to come with a great rapidity and they seem to go back away just as fast. Foundations and great institutions rise up in a moment and then because of a faltering and a failing and because it wasn't built with the proper structure and a lot of it was morally hollow, it disappears overnight as well. The Lord Jesus actually prophesied about those things. He said that his kingdom would be, in Matthew chapter 13, he gives a succession of parables. And by the way, if you read those, none of them are positive parables. There are all kinds of problems that will take place in the development of his church and his kingdom upon the earth. And one of the things he says is that the kingdom will be like a mustard seed that's planted and overnight it grows into a great tree. You think, oh, that's wonderful. But then he says, and then the birds of the air will come and land in it. And just a couple of stories prior to that, the birds of the air are the minions of Satan that are coming and plucking up the seed of the gospel and taking it away from people. He's basically saying the church is going to grow up overnight and then taking roots in it will all be all the wicked and carnal men of the age seeking their influence and their power. And actually that happened. Constantine went and baptized his armies through the waters and the rivers of Italy in surrender to and commitment to be now a Christian nation. And then all of a sudden, just like that, the world powers began to roost in the church and it grew up rapidly and then it became the roost for worldly powers. Not everything you think is happening, but things are happening are really happening. It's not all good news. A.W. Tozer once wrote that the endless attention to innovation and new things and yet the short-sightedness in the Christian church allows us to celebrate seemingly great advances but not be around when we find out the thing that we celebrated turned out to be of no great importance. In fact, he put it this way, quote, Nowhere in the field of human endeavor can so little pass for so much with so many as in religion. 
It affords unlimited opportunity for men to rise like a rocket and come down like a stick. All that great fanfare, all those wonderful things. So, not everything that you think is happening when the big thing takes place is happening. Here's the other thing I'd say. A recognition that what you offer and bring and produce is small and is nothing is not a mistake. Once you've done all that you thought you were going to do and accomplish, then you see that it wasn't as much as you thought and dreamed that it was going to be, and you find yourself mourning and weeping. Well, it's not necessarily a mistake to feel that way. The thought that you bring something and produce something great and impactful is the mistake. Lord, I'll really provide some great deed and some great work for you. Lord, you can depend upon me. Lord, if all else deny you, I'll never deny you, and on and on and on and on. Now, that's maybe more of the mistaken notion. We work because God has given us and brought us to a miraculous calling. We work and labor not because there's anything in ourselves, but because God is gracious and merciful to allow us who had been slaves in sin to be released under His freedom and clothed in His righteousness to carry His name forward to the ends of the earth. And it's a gift of mercy that God has given us to let us be a small part in the great movement of salvation and its impact in the world. It's a form of our worship. It's an expression of God's worthiness and also the worth that He has laid upon us as His redeemed people that we go into this service. But it is not an expression that we in ourselves have anything great to offer God. Actually, Paul describes this to us. We are, in a sense, very much like these people that have returned from Jerusalem. We are just a remnant that he's called out in order that he might receive glory from us. Amazingly, though, God has raised up all the mighty men of the nations. Nebuchadnezzar has come to power in order to deal with little Israel. Cyrus has come and conquered the empires in order to send little Israel back to build that remnant. God orchestrates the nations and all the powerful men that you think are something in order to take us who are nothing and put us in places where we would serve him so that he might get glory through us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26, God identifies what we are. There in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, Paul says to the Holy Spirit, You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, Paul gets more descriptive in verses 27 and 28. There we're called the foolish things and the weak things and the base things and the nothings of the world. But then Paul says to the Holy Spirit that God has used us to put to shame those who think they're wise and those who think they're strong and those who think they're powerful and those who think they're something important to put them to shame is God uses us so that He alone gets the glory. I know how it works. I think I've shared this story before. I know I shared this just recently with some members of our church. When I was a little boy, I had a um, toy. It was a Roy Rogers toy. And I, really, you know, and I used to watch. There were still reruns of Roy Rogers with Trigger on television on Saturday mornings. So we watched the Roy Rogers reruns. And I heard that Roy Rogers was going to be performing as the key performer at the Snake River Stampede. I had also heard that he was a Christian. And so I started praying as a young boy that he would come. I figured, you know, he's got to go to church on Sunday somewhere. Maybe he'll come to my church. And so I started months in advance praying that Roy Rogers would come to my church. And then, I'm only about 10 years old or so, then I started looking around at the members of my church and the people who were doing things. And I remember thinking, I wouldn't want him to see this person, and I wouldn't want him to see that person, and... 
But I began to think, maybe I don't want Roy Rogers to come to my church after all. Then I started praying really serious, Lord, don't send him to our church. I'd be too embarrassed. I'd be ashamed. And, and nothings. The nobodies, the despised, the base, the weak, the foolish. Us. Us. God calls us. So if you look and you look over what you do for God and you look over what you have to offer for God and you look over your own capacities and a tear comes to your eyes because of it, because it seems so great and your abilities seem not so much, it's a good thing. It's all right. It's enough if what you realize is what you are and what little you are is placed in the hands of the Lord Jesus and in his hands he can make something of it. Lord Jesus, before he went to the cross, told his disciples, uh, you remember when I sent you out and I told you not to take a bag with you and not to take any money and not to take a cloak? Well, now if you've got an extra cloak, take it. If you've got an extra bag, take a bag with your money in it and, and, and grab a sword as well. And, and then the disciples must have taken them seriously because they scoured the house and they came up and they had two swords. So they said, Lord, here are two swords. We've got two swords among us. And the Lord Jesus says, it's enough. That's enough. That'll do. Two swords. They had no idea what was coming against them and what they were going to be sent out to do and accomplish. But how can two swords be enough? Because it's all they had. And they gave it to the Lord Jesus. And it was enough. There's a stanza in a contemporary Christian song that's true. It says, little is much when God is in it and no one can fathom the plans he holds. Little is much when God is in it, he changes the world with the seeds we sow. Stay faithful, friends. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.